0: This is Women Who Build Empires, a podcast celebrating women entrepreneurs and thought leaders who are turning the tables on outdated old school belief systems and building business empires that align with who they are, how they work and how they are leaving a lasting legacy. And I'm your host, Emmy Kirshner, serial entrepreneur, investor and business consultant for ambitious women entrepreneurs who are boldly taking their business to the next level. In each episode, you're gonna to get to know the women who are unafraid to put it all on the line as they share the stories of how both success and failure have helped them become incredible CEOs. Hey, Empresses. For me, there is nothing better or more satisfying than the sound of the cork coming out of a bottle of sparkling wine. I love, love, love my bubbles, as my girlfriends will attest to. And today's guest, Jen Pelka, who is the co founder and CEO of Unfem Wines, specializes in women made sparkling wines that give back to charities that benefit women. Jen is incredible. She's fun, she's dynamic, and when we dove into how she became an entrepreneur, which was almost by accident, I found out that she was working at a hedge fund, and then on the weekends decided to become a line cook, enjoyed that so much, and started personal, personal chefing on Sundays. So she was working seven days a week, had no idea how to start a business, and years later, she has owned... Two champagne bars, a PR agency, and now Unfem Wines. In the interview, we talked about how being present and really supporting your team is crucial to team dynamics and your business's success. Um, She talked about how projects that don't work have given her so much information and have helped her succeed in the long run, even when that failure feels like it is overwhelming and could potentially stop you. Um, And she talks about why Unfam Wines is really about community, not just beautiful bubbles. Jen, welcome. Before you got on, um, I just watched your... Day in a life on YouTube where you like Uber around. <laughs> and I'm really curious about how you do it all. Uh,
1: that's a pretty funny video. <laughs> <laughs> Spoiler alert, I don't really bicycle all around the city, but <laughs> I didn't even know
0: that you could do that through Uber, so that was my one of my takeaways. One
1: of one of your takeaways. Yeah. I mean, I have done it a little bit, but I, I'm more am on my more on my feet. But yeah, I mean, I definitely juggle a whole bunch of balls all at one time. But the the great thing is I've got an incredible team and the more they grow, the more responsibility I give them. And so I try as much as possible to get pieces off my plate and to be available to them for strategy and making connections and all of those kinds of things. But yeah, of course, any entrepreneur, we we're always running all around to try to get everything done.
0: Yeah. I mean, I'm here in my four walls most of the time, but on any given day, the number of different projects I'm touching is pretty diverse. Absolutely. Um, We'll include that video in the show notes in case anybody wants to check it out. But you're like (laughs) everywhere
1: all at once. It's amazing. Um,
0: And with that, why don't we share, like,
1: you're running a couple of businesses. Well, that video actually was shot a few years ago when I was running the Riddler champagne bar and Magnum PR. Um, and those two companies I chose to kind of step away from. So I ended up winding down Magnum and so that I could focus on the Riddler. And then I ended up adding an additional Riddler location. So we had one in San Francisco and one in New York. Mm -hmm. Um, but then COVID hit and it was incredibly challenging to try to keep them open, especially not when I was living on the West coast and our New York team was, um, running the show um in new york during covid um so i at that point had launched unfam the sparkling wine brand as our house wine within the riddler and so kept that going but mm-hmm. ended up making the business decision to close down the two locations of okay. the riddler so these days i have one business this is the first time in a while i've only had one uh, <laughs> and i am full time focused on building and growing um, this amazing sparkling wine company that is focused on women made wines that give back to charities that benefit women
0: is so phenomenal because as we talked in our initial conversation, my business and the podcast but my business in particular is focused completely on women on women and helping them scale and grow their businesses and I love that more women are doing more things and creating more businesses that support and help us thrive. Um, I think that's so important right now. But what is it about Fem that makes it so special outside of amazing women?
1: Um well, first first and foremost, we really start with the wines. You know, we learned so much at the Riddler um having exposure to incredible champagnes and sparkling wines mm-hmm. from across not only France, but um, sparkling wines across the U.S. and other winemaking regions. And I found that there were so many incredible female winemakers who were making really special, really beautiful wines. Um, And so often our guests would come in and we would feature wines made by women. And uh, people would ask us, where can I find wines like this? When I go to a retail store or when I go to a restaurant, how can I find wines made by women? I care about this now. Like these are things that we as consumers increasingly realize that we can pay attention to, that we can be supporting small businesses or large businesses um, with leadership that, that we are sort of mission aligned with. And Mm -hmm. um, we wanted to create a brand explicitly that was all about supporting women. And we feel really proud to do that. And every day we try to think of more and more ways that we can support women across the board.
0: And how do you find different winemakers? Because just, for my own educational purposes, I'm sure some of the people that are listening to women winemakers aren't necessarily owning vineyards.
1: That's correct. That's correct. So we don't actually own any vineyards. Um, we partner with women winemakers in Champaign who do own their own vineyards. Um, And then also in California, those who do not, but who work with vineyard partners. So the distinction essentially between a vineyard and a winery, and I would say a brand, the vineyard is like the physical farm location where the vines are grown. The winery is a facility where the grapes are brought into and turned into wine. Sometimes those are in the same place. In most cases, they are not in the safe place. In most cases, wineries are actually pretty industrial. Um, they're not always these incredibly beautiful, majestic places that you get to go visit when you're on your, you know, girls trip to Napa. Uh, some of them are, but those are, those are a unique category. And then um, for us as a brand, we work with several different, many different vineyard partners, um, several different winemakers, and then also different like wineries or, you know, facilities where we're actually making the wine.
0: Okay. And how do winemakers make the magic as far as how they're they're creating and making the wine?
1: It's, you know, a combination of many different factors. One is thinking about what our house style is or what their particular point of view is. And it really always starts in the vineyards. So first and foremost, like where is that vineyard located? What is the climate like? What is the soil like? What are the farming conditions like? Um, and from there, second piece is like, what are the grape varietals we're using? So we have a big focus on champagne varietals. So in mm-hmm. Champagne in France. My it's, I mean, truly the best. <laughs> Champagne is an incredible region because it is—it's quite large. It takes like two to three hours to drive from one side to the other. It's one of the most northernmost wine-growing regions in the world, and certainly one of the coldest climates. So it's typically quite cold and quite gray and pretty rainy, very overcast and. That is one of the reasons why it's such a great wine growing region for their two classic grapes, Chardonnay and Pinot Noir, because mm-hmm. those are grapes that do really well in that that kind of climate. Um, and they get so much acidity to them because of that climate, as opposed to um, in California, when we grow Chardonnay and Pinot Noir, they get a tremendous amount of sun, so They become very juicy grapes. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just a, a distinction in in style. So um But then all of it comes down to also like once you're in the winery itself, um, choices around blending, choices around sugar content, choices around acidity, um, and then also how long the wines stay in the bottle or in the barrel, whether they're getting oak contact or not, um, all of those components. So it's um, equal parts art and science and a lot weather which of course we cannot control
0: (laughs) the magic part. Well, one of the magic parts, what are women winemakers doing differently? um, That is making what they're creating so special outside of we're amazing.
1: Yeah. It's such an interesting question. There's a lot of conversation in the wine world about wines that are feminine and characteristic or, or masculine, Um, Obviously, there are all kinds of complicated questions around how we talk about gender. And I think the conversation around gender has evolved so much in the past several years. But I have noticed that a lot of female winemakers care a lot about sustainability. Mm -hmm. They care a lot about nourishing the land. Mm -hmm. Um, They care a lot about craft. I mean, it's hard to say like women do one thing, men do something different. But um, I have noticed that um, a lot of women care about this sorts of things. And that certainly is the women who we are aligned with certainly do as well.
0: Yeah. And I mean, that aligns with what I've seen um, with the business owners that I'm working with and just other women that I know is that we tend to be longer term thinkers. So that sustainability piece becomes more important because it's, well, how is it going to look 20, 30, 50, 200 years from now?
1: That's so interesting. Um, the idea of women being long-term thinkers. Why do you think that is?
0: I don't know why. I'm just aware of a consistent characteristic among yeah. all of the women business owners that I've talked to, worked with, interviewed, where they're thinking about, for instance, their teams mm-hmm. um, in particular. Or what they're offering and how that impacts their body or um, mindset or any number of other factors in the longer term, and what's going to be best for everybody together.
1: Yeah, I think it's a really good point. It, we, I think, as as women, uh, so often become the caretakers, and not only I think now is it like the caretakers of our families and our friends, but to a certain extent, the earth because we're thinking about future generations and the impact that uh, what we're doing now will have on others. I think also as you see more women in positions of leadership whether it's as artists or CEOs or beyond we are empathetically I know I can speak for myself thinking about the long-term well-being of our team members. Mm-hmm. You know we had two team members this week whose family we had family members independently pass away. And they were both like, oh my gosh, like, I need to get back to work. And I was like, take a couple of days, take whatever you need to be with your family. Like, remember the person who you loved who passed away and come back when you're ready. Like, there's no project that is so urgent for these people that them being back and being distracted um, is going to, that falling off the to-do list is going to be catastrophic for the long term of this Mm -hmm. business. Like what matters to me the most is that we have team members who are going to be with us for a long time, who are going to feel nourished and a part of something larger than themselves. part of that is, yeah, of course, like having the space to care for yourself so that when you are at work, you can be present, you can be engaged and you can do a great job. Yeah. But your job is just one small part of your life.
0: Yeah, and I think it's important to be really present.
1: Absolutely. Like
0: in your job, in your personal life, in other spaces, by giving your team permission to go do and, and have that experience that's painful or and and really sit in their grief and give them space to not worry about everything else. They're going to heal faster.
1: So true. So, so, so true. So. Yeah, I mean, we have to take care of each other. It's Absolutely.
0: Yeah. So that's for me, I think it's just really interesting to see some of those, as I said, those characteristics. And it's not that what guys are doing are bad, it's just different. And it is different. And there's a great place to incorporate both. And I love seeing more women really empower themselves and others with what really works for
1: us, too. I definitely agree. Yeah. Yeah. Having diversity around the table always makes projects better. Uh, makes companies stronger, makes countries stronger, makes individuals stronger. It's, you know, I think it's always a great thing for us to have as many different kinds of people as we possibly can around us.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So
1: what made you want to be an entrepreneur? You know, I don't know that I ever said when I started all these many companies I've started along the way. I don't think I ever said like, I want to be a capital E entrepreneur. Um, I think I was always motivated by a particular idea of a product or a service that I wanted to see out in the world that I felt Mm -hmm. like I could be sufficiently good at doing and that I was really excited about and often just jumped in and started doing things. Um, You know, the first company I started was when I was in my early 20s and I was working as a line cook at a really high-end French restaurant in New York. And... I was well, during the week I was working at a hedge fund. And then on Saturdays I was working, <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, and then on Saturdays I was a line cook and I was like, what should I do with my Sundays? So on Sundays, I was I I was loving cooking so much. So on Sundays I started doing like private chef work and I didn't know how to price it. I didn't put together a business plan. I certainly don't think I like had all of my tax documentation together. All of those kinds of things. But I just was like, maybe I should start working as a personal chef. I'll charge people hourly. I'll I think somebody told me to be a 1099 employee. I didn't know what that was. And I just started selling private chef work as a service. Um and it, you know, I wasn't saying, "Oh, I want to be entrepreneurial on Sundays," but there was some like inert energy within me that said I had to had to start doing that. And then later I started a second company I started was a gift basket business featuring really beautiful gourmet food products and cookbooks from like famous chefs around New York. And I went to like Chelsea Market and picked up the books and then I and like got the baskets and like put these things together. I created a website and I like sold these things online. It was a terrible business because I truly had no idea what I was doing, but it was just one of those projects that I felt I was like, this is a product that doesn't exist in the world and I need to start this. So, you know, I wouldn't start a small business like that today, but. I think you learn so much by starting projects that don't work. Yeah, that you don't even remember having done a couple of years later, and then, but uh, you know, you, you do learn a lot with each of those attempts.
0: Well, and I'm still floored at like hedge fund and then line cook.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Because both of them are kind of stressful in very different ways. Totally. Totally, totally. Both uh, high pressure, time sensitive, deadline driven, uh, intense colleagues, intense bosses, um, pursuit of excellence, you know, pursuit of immediate results. <laughs> That's true. So there's got to be, there's got to be some of that left in me, I'm sure.
0: So you do that. When do you get involved in and start Riddler?
1: I started the Riddler, um, let's see what year it was. It was about seven years ago, but I had the idea for it for about 10 years previous to that. Um, I had heard about riddling, which is a step in the champagne making process, which was a step invented by the widow of the Veuve Clicquot. Veuve means widow in French. And mm-hmm. she was a woman who had taken over the Clicquot house, the champagne house from her husband after her husband passed away. And at the time, champagne was a very cloudy beverage. And so it wasn't very marketable. She's like, we've got to figure out a way to get all of this like sediment out of it. And so she took a bottle, she took a um, a table and drilled some holes in it and took the bottles, flipped them upside down and had the neck sort of pointing down. So the sediment would drop down. And then she was able to. Um, By turning the bottles every day, that's riddling. The French word is remouage. uh, By turning the bottles every day, all of that sediment went to the neck. And then you're able to easily remove it. And then it naturally clarifies the wine. And so in so doing this, she revolutionized the champagne industry for all of history. Without her having invented this, champagne would be nowhere. Or I guess somebody else probably would have invented a similar system. But she's the one who figured it out. out.
0: Only a woman would have done this.
1: Only a woman would have like <laughs> diy a table to, you know, to do this. So um, I had heard about Riddling and I was like, oh my gosh, one day I want to open a champagne bar called The Riddler, Just be such a cool name. And so I had that floating around in my brain for a long time. I had a lot of different ideas for restaurants I wanted to open. And then when I was living in San Francisco, um, there was a little corner cafe that looked like a place right out of Paris. But in like an old school dark wood, kind of beat up in a great way, you know, those great, great, great corner bistros in, in Paris luck. And I was like, that place would be perfect for the Riddler. So once it became available for rent, I went over right away and put a bid in on it. I didn't, again, I didn't have a business plan. I didn't have investors. I had certainly no idea what I was doing. Um, but I was super excited about the idea. And luckily the guy who was marketing it, was not quite ready to let it go. So I had some time available to put together a business plan, figure out who my investors could be. My husband also is a restaurateur. He has six Greek restaurants in San Francisco called Suvla. And so at that point, he had one location. And so he had learned a lot about running restaurants. So he helped me a lot with with putting together what that plan might look like. And then um, by the time I had my investors in line, the guy who was marketing the space was actually ready to let it go, and so I took it over. I really started from what I wanted the place to look and feel like, and what I wanted mm-hmm. our guests to feel like when they were dining with us, um, and how we wanted to make champagne feel like something that you could drink on a Tuesday just as easily as a Friday or a New Year's Eve, and the everyday drink. It can be, it should be, it can be, and it should be. So that was the first, the first of the two. And it was a huge success from day one. It was wildly successful. So much fun, so much energy. You know, it was a tiny space. It was easy to fill it up with people. And one of the choices I made was to accept investment only from women. Mm -hmm. And I sought out a group of really incredible women, all of whom I I literally put together a spreadsheet of every woman I knew who might have $5,000 to invest or more. And the list was pretty long. And I met up with each of them and caught up with them. Chat, chat, chat. How you doing? How you doing? And um, by the end, they would be like, wait, what are you up to? What's going on with you? And I'd be like, oh, I'm opening this champagne bar going to be in this location. That's it's going to look like. This is what it's going to feel like. And I'm only taking investment from women. And every woman was like, wait, what? they're like, well, how much does it cost to invest? And I'd be like, well, $5,000 or more. And almost all of them were like, where can I send the check? So that group of women um, has been incredibly supportive of me over many, many, many years. Most of them reinvested in the second location. um, And then unfortunately, we had to close both of them. And most of them um, have still been incredibly supportive and in fact, invested in UNFEM after the close of the Riddler. So I think um, one one piece of advice I always give to entrepreneurs is number one, only take money from people who know and understand that they could lose it. And I still to this day am so... I still feel guilty that those two spaces didn't work out and also very like emotionally tied to them. But Mm -hmm. people who are investing also have to understand that entrepreneurs sometimes don't make it through. And who would have predicted COVID? Who would have predicted COVID? Exactly. And um, as I said, so many of them have come along for us on the ride with UNFEM and hopefully they have a really successful outcome from this company, which has a very different business model. I mean, running a um, a wine brand or any sort of consumer good brand is a very different business than a restaurant. Yes. And
0: yeah, with slightly better margins. Slightly better margins.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's just a whole. It's just a whole different ball of wax. It is an incredibly hard business, I will say. But, yeah. Um, but it well, is so much fun.
0: Yeah, and I love your the way you set up those meetings. Because that's how I do my networking and it, it works
1: every time. So. It's, you know, it's a classic sales tactic of doing discovery. Mm-hmm. So meeting with someone, asking them a lot of questions about themselves, learning what's important to them, learning what their pain points are, and genuinely caring about what matters to them. Yeah. And then figuring out, okay, could this person, could my product, could my service be... Of benefit to this person? And if so, how? And then positioning it through the lens of what you understand about that person. Um, And a lot of times I would have conversations with people and it would be like clear that this was not somebody who would be a great fit for. And I might mention it and maybe they would, or maybe I wouldn't even mention it because it like wasn't the right thing for them. But um, I do think genuinely being curious about what potential partners or investors, what their lives are about and what they're interested in, it does help you in the end because it just helps you to understand like what motivates people.
0: Yeah, and it's for me it's the relationship building too because
1: it's Absolutely.
0: It's more than just hey, give me some money.
1: Right. The I thing think. that I have never done except we recently did a very large fundraise we did an institutional raise and did a 10 million dollar raise from um private equity and VC and some family offices and that because you're working with professional investors that the expectation is a little bit different where you are sending them a deck and very detailed projections and explanation about your previous history and all of those components. But aside from that, I typically don't pitch like from a deck. Like I never walk someone through a deck. I always just try to have a conversation with them. Mm -hmm.
0: I mean, I think that's the most authentic way to start the whole process.
1: Totally. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely is.
0: So what do you love about uh, UnFam the most?
1: What do I love about UnFam the most? I love our team, for sure. That is no, there's no doubt there. Okay. My my favorite part of the work is, number one, I get to work with an incredible co-founder who is my brother. And he and I have an amazing relationship. Um, he and I are 12 years apart. I'm the elder. So okay. he's still in his 20s. I just turned 40. Um, So he's at a different point in his career, but he has also started and sold a couple companies. We're both very entrepreneurial Um, and he does everything behind the scenes. And I do everything, you know, sort of in terms of sales and marketing. Mm -hmm. Um, And then we both lead, I lead the sales and marketing team. He leads the ops and business side of the team. And we now have a team of 16 people who are incredibly talented. So smart, so interesting. Our CMO was at Anheuser-Busch for over 10 years. Our head of sales was at Moat Hennessy for over 10 years. So they all bring so much interesting experience. And they've hired these incredible teams of very, very talented people who are pretty senior in their roles, who come to the table with amazing ideas and a lot of credibility and expertise. So I love learning from them. That's the thing that gets me most excited is learning from each of them every day. And then... uh, beyond that in addition to that is just our community of of customers Mm -hmm. who really have come to to think of infem as like part of their identities almost we have so many women who send us selfies and and videos and stories about opening these bottles for other women in their lives who mean so much to them and you know i i believe that that the biggest impact that we can make beyond our charitable partners is by gathering women together and getting women to celebrate one another. And that champagne doesn't have to be about showing off that it can be about showing up for the people who are in your lives, who are really important to you. And so, yeah, it's all, it's all about community. I think for me, it sounds like it, it is, it is. I mean, that's, you know, what we're here to do is like connect with, amazing people, most of whom are women, but not all.
0: <laughs> yeah. you let some guys in to kind of balance. our course, of
1: course. That, of course. Right? My brother, our head of ops, our head of finance. We've got a lot of amazing. And my husband. I mean, we've got so many amazing men around us. It's cool to see in this modern world, men supporting women just as much as, as we all need it and deserve. It's an important thing.
0: Yeah, absolutely. How do you... How do you find time to do it all? Like how do you well, structure your day? I don't That's why I like I want the productivity tips. <laughs>
1: we, number one, we don't have kids. Um and my husband and I don't want to have kids. Um mm-hmm. I've never really wanted kids. Um I think it's still something that is hard for women who don't want kids to talk about. Um there's always this like question of like can you not have them or like are you sure you don't want kids? Like whatever. That's Anyway, I do not have kids and do not want kids. So that saves me a huge amount of time, energy, resources, et cetera. Um, But I still (laughs) lead a very, very, very full, active, engaged life. Um, So that's one component. It it is hard for me to imagine how challenging it must be for women who do have families um, to be able to juggle it all, particularly once we get to a phase in our lives. where we're also doing a lot of caretaking for parents or other people in our lives um, because, you know, I'm 40 and that definitely... I've noticed a huge shift um, amongst my friends of that becoming a much larger component of people's lives. I think that at the end of the day, it comes down to setting boundaries um, mm-hmm. to making time for myself, for my own mental health. Like sometimes there comes to me a point in the day, and it can be as early as like three or four o'clock in the afternoon where I can say, I just Can't do good work anymore today. I'm burnt out today. And then I just give myself the permission to stop working. I try to have some structure to my day, which includes at least a walk, if not a real workout in the morning, and like a proper breakfast and all of that before nine o'clock, which is hard because most of my team is on the East Coast. So I admittedly do a lot of days that start at six in the morning, like right out of bed, just like work, 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 work. But those tend to be the days where I like stop working at three or four. But then like my husband and I, when we're at home, like once it's dinner time, we put our contraptions away. (laughs) (laughs) Like We, you know, we, we kind of digitally detox each night. And then on the weekends, we, we never work on the weekends. Like I can count on two hands the number of times in the 11 years that we've been married that we work on the weekends, except for when we were opening restaurants. Uh, But like, we really, really try to have that time for ourselves. And I think that's so important. I mean, back to the piece that I was saying about the two team members we had who lost people this week, like you really enable in order to show up successfully at work, you need to have your life outside of work um, under control and Mm -hmm. happy and it's it's really hard to balance those two but you've you've got to put the the oxygen mask on yourself first before you can help anybody else
0: yeah absolutely absolutely and i love to hear you say that there's days where you shut off at 3 um for me i tend to start later in the morning but there's there's days where it's like i'm just done and yeah i'm exactly what you said, like, I'm not going to do good work. So I can sit here and stare at the computer and type some stuff up, but I'm going to end up redoing it. And I feel so much better the next day, having had that break and then being able to dive into everything.
1: Absolutely. There's like really no point in us saying to ourselves, you must work, you must sit in front of your computer and work and, or take zoom calls from 9am to 6pm or whatever the the hours are in your head as to what those are. It's like, who, who said that that's how it has to work? You know, I think that we all need to, especially now that we live in a pretty virtual world and so many people are working from home, things like that. It's easy for all of the time to creep into the rest of your life. So I just try for myself to have somewhat rigid boundaries around it. I'm not perfect at it. I'm not even, I would say good at it, but I certainly aspire one day to get to be good at it.
0: Mm -hmm. Shifting directions a little bit, where can um, everybody get Uh, Unfem Wines. Oh, um, thank you for asking.
1: Well, we have a couple amazing national partners. So all across the country, you can shop our wines. We have a store locator on our website, which is unfemwines.com. That can show you different places where we're available. You can also ship directly from our website. Um, And then we're at amazing independent restaurants and retailers all across the country. And then we have some big national partners um, the biggest of which is Delta Airlines. So if you're ever flying Delta, we are a global partner to Delta. So we are the sparkling wine on board all Delta planes in the world, which is so crazy. That is so super cool. <laughs> it's so, so cool. So when you fly Delta, you can definitely drink in femme. All right. Well, yeah.
0: Um, I flew Delta in January, December, December, December Oh, cool. December, yeah.
1: Um, to go see my kid. So Maybe can drink
0: Delta more often instead of American.
1: There you go. There you yeah. go. Yeah, you can definitely drink Unfem on Delta. They make for great mimosas, also. I will say so. That's okay. people love drinking mimosas on planes.
0: Okay. Um,
1: so that's really fun. We also have an amazing partnership with the Ritz Carlton. So if you ever are at a Ritz Carlton or st- staying at a Ritz Carlton, we're by the glass at every Ritz in the country. Uh-huh. Um, and a lot of other Marriott properties as well, so St. Regis and the JW Marriott properties and Autograph Collection. Um, and then we're very excited—we're going to be launching at Target nationwide starting in March. Um, really? So, yeah.
0: Oh my god! <laughs> yeah, yeah, really because cool. I looked on your website, and there's no real t- real um, retailer. I was going to say realtor. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> retailer in North Carolina. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a distributor
1: yep. so, uh, coming anytime. soon to a target near you. Yeah. Okay. And we, yeah. So target we're so, so excited about target was my top goal for a retailer, like for a, a launch nationwide. And we will be adding lots and lots of retailers over the next couple of years. Um, it takes, it takes a lot of time to get into all of these. Oh, I'm sure. All of these, um, whether it's chains or independence, they take a long time, but our goal certainly is to get to some level of like great national availability. Um, when you're shopping locally, we have great availability in places like California and New York and Chicago and Texas, but um, we haven't had a team in the South yet. Um, and so we're looking to go broader in the South, but um, I'm pretty sure that North Carolina is on the list of the target states that we'll be at.
0: I will be one of your first purchasers.
1: Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much. Yeah. 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 We we're so excited. I, I love Target just as a consumer. I'm somebody who grew up shopping at Target all the time. And it, uh, to me, it's so fun because it's like so design driven. It's great for all the like cool objects for your house, but you can also get like cute fashion and like all your and, beauty products, yeah. you know you get it. <laughs> yeah. Cause yeah. you go to buy
0: one thing and
1: $300 oh later. Yeah. Yeah. Like never has it ever happened that I've ever been able to walk out of target without like $75 worth of stuff. Even though I went in to buy, you know, a toothbrush and toothpaste. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, There's like some new thing for your garden.
0: There's that you didn't even know that you needed. You didn't even know you needed it. But and And it's like, oh, I'll just get this and then there's the next thing and the next thing and next, like your cart's full in two seconds. But I will venture out to our like gigantic target that I don't go to very often because it's so huge just to get.
1: Oh, thank you. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah, Yeah, we'll be in um, all the super targets and then a lot of the larger targets that are not quite super targets, but are really big. Yeah. Well, 33 states, I think. So, and then... 375 ish stores.
0: Congratulations.
1: Thank you. Thanks. Yeah. It's our, we have an amazing woman who um, leads all of our retail outreach and she's done an incredible job. So we're, we're excited for a big year ahead with a lot of additional stores coming online.
0: I'm clapping everybody. (laughs) (laughs) Physically clapping. So what's next? Actually,
1: what's next for us? So this year is going to be a big year focused on expanding our distribution across the country and availability across the country, because the first question that people always ask me is, where can I buy this wine? That's a big area of focus for us. We are, interestingly, actually exploring some international markets as well. So we're looking at, I'm going to Japan in a couple weeks um, to meet with some potential Japanese exporters. We're looking at Canada, we're looking at Korea, we're looking at the UK. So. International is something that we're really excited about this year. We are also launching some amazing community-focused programs that I'm so excited about. So um, we have a program called the Hall of Femme that has been such an incredible um, experience for all of us at Unfemme, where you can see the list of the women on our website. Um, but we we nominated and the community nominated 365 women for us to nominate in all of last year. So a year's worth of women who had all shattered glass ceilings in some sort of a way. And we sent them crates of our wine with a sheet of stunt glass on the top and a hammer. And they literally would shatter the glass ceiling to get to the wine. It was so cool. So cool. Very goosebump inducing when you would see these women like open these boxes. And that program is evolving so that we can broaden it a bit um, to a program called Project Gather, which is going to be getting 2023 women to host events with their friends or with women who are important to them in their lives. And um, you'll be able to get the wines, whether it's at Target or shipped through our website. And then you'll also receive a guide that we're calling the Gather Guide that will be like a discussion guide for you as a jumping off point with this group of women to talk about topics that are big, meaty, interesting topics um, that can help us all to help one another and just explore some of these areas that we all you know, can go a little deeper on and can support each other as as women. Because we really believe that when you get women together, um, and this is backed by so many scientific studies and whatnot, that like that's where so much institution, like so much uh, progress happens is Mm -hmm. women lifting each other up and starting projects together and whatnot. So if we can be a tiny piece of that project or that, that progress, and also like people do it while popping a bottle of sparkling wine and (laughs) (laughs) you should definitely host one. We would love for you to host one. It would be, um, it would be an honor. And also I think you would love it and would have right up my alley. Yeah. With
0: my former catering, personal chef background. Totally. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I think we're going to see, it'll be fun to see what everybody does for these events. But I think some people will do really elaborate, beautiful dinners. And I think some people will just like get together book club style and pop some wine, have a cheese plate and just, you know, get a box of tissues. (laughs) You know, you know how it is when we all get together, (laughs) laugh, you cry, you do. Yeah. And you feel so good when you're done. Yeah. 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 So those, those are a few of the things I'm really excited about this year. Um, It's a lot. It's, oh my gosh, it's so much. We're doing a lot.
0: But that's for me, like that's a testament to all of the hard work that you've put in year after year and, and, um, consistently just moving the ball forward one inch at a time.
1: So true. You know, there, they say there's no such thing as an overnight success. And I believe that's absolutely true. I mean, I've been at this, I'm 40 now. I can't believe it, but I, you know, I've been somehow related to the food and wine industry for over 20 years. And I've built a huge network over that period of time. And I've really anchored it in women who have supported me and who I've supported in kind And um, the other piece is like it really takes a village like this kind of these kinds of big ambitions, take a big team and also take a community outside of your own team of people to collaborate with. Like one of the things that we did this year that was so much fun that came out of the Hall of Femme was a woman who was the CMO of Sprinkles the cupcake company
0: mm-hmm. which is
1: this amazing they do direct to consumer cupcakes but they started with these amazing bakeries all around LA the most famous one is in Beverly Hills um it's a women led company and um uh, there's like you know in the a few years ago you would see always in us weekly it was like a celebrity eating a cupcake at sprinkles so anyway we we nominated someone nominated uh this woman who was their CMO for the Hall of Fame? So mm-hmm. she got one of the Hall of Fame boxes. She was part of our network. And she reached out and said, we would love to team up with you on a cupcake for the New Year's um, for that it that features champagne or sparkling wine in it. And we want to do a cure Royale cupcakes. So it was this raspberry cream cheese, cure Royale cup. It was amazing. And we never would have been able to do something like that on our own. And I really feel like it's such a great example of one plus one equals three or even more. Because yeah. with that, we were able to launch these cupcakes nationwide at 17 bakeries in like 10 states and delight their customers, get our customers really excited about it. And it was just like a fun collab. So I'm always, always looking for opportunities to collaborate with other women who have a lot of creativity and a lot of positivity to them.
0: Jo, this has been so much fun. Oh, uh,
1: thank you. So much fun talking to you.
0: Yeah. I like, I want to fly out to California
1: now. And... Oh, please do. Let me, <laughs> Let me know when you're coming and we'll definitely make sure we would love for you to host a project gather event. Obviously oh. if anybody who's listening wants to host one, we'll have information on our website about it. And um, it's going to be a really fun opportunity for women to get together.
0: Yeah. And where's the best place for everybody to connect with you? Is it the website or...
1: The website, we also are on Instagram at Unfem Wines. We're on LinkedIn. We are on Facebook and we're on Twitter.
0: Thank you so much. I'm honored to have you here as a guest.
1: Well, thank you so much. I am honored to be here as a guest. I really appreciate it.
0: It's my hope that you find at least one nugget of value in each episode of Women Who Build Empires. And if that's true, please follow and share Women Who Build Empires with your friends and leave a review on Apple Podcast. Your support is what will help this podcast be found by more women just like you.